Welcome, friends, to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast. Today is a long time coming. It is time for the third annual official Seaweed Brain Gracie Kim collaboration interview, our greatest tradition. Stick around. We're talking The Last Fallen Realm. No spoilers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> podcast appropriate scream hi gracie welcome back to our show oh thank you so much for having me i love that it's become a tradition because it's like it's like my marker that it's almost release date for my book you know it's like oh, it's the time of the year again time to talk to my mates. <laughs> This is like the only thing I've used my like eight-year-old iPad for in the past three years has been reading the e-arcs of Gracie's books. <laughs> so I'm like, time to break out and charge my iPad. Does it still work? Barely. Yeah, barely. Okay. <laughs> um, wow, Carter, you, I mean, you wrote out a whole intro. Would you like to go for it? <laughs> Yes. So for those of you who are new or don't remember, because I guess it's been a year, um, we have Gracie as a guest right now. Gracie is the very famous author of The Last Fallen Star, um, The Last Fallen Moon, and now soon to be The Last Fallen Realm. These are all very successful, popular, beloved middle grade books from the Rick Reardon Presents imprint that follow um, a Korean American girl and her mostly magical friends as they cross realms, deepen their relationships, come into their power, and challenge some gods, challenge some divine, uh, powerful figures. Um, she has uh, graciously appeared on our podcast each year so far to talk to us about each book before its release. So uh, if you haven't heard those conversations, because I do think we have some new listeners, um, please go back and check out those conversations, check out those books. It's They're a great time. Um, but now it's time for our our third conversation. We have the huge honor of talking with Gracie about the final book in the trilogy. Um, yes. I don't know if if y'all are familiar with um, Vanity Fair does this annual interview with Billie Eilish where they ask her the same questions every year. And it's kind of <laughs> snowballed into this tradition where she uses it as her annual time to reflect in public about the nature of fame and um, <laughs> her changing emotions about her work. And hopefully this is what that experience is like. The, the, these are analogous in my head and perhaps in some of our listeners' heads. <laughs> Gracie Kim is Billie Eilish and we are Vanity Fair. Totally. In, in, in many ways, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's okay. Let's talk about fame, people. Let's talk about fame. Let's talk about fame. That being said, <laughs> part of this tradition is that we're going to read your ever-changing biography from oh. your website and force you to sit through that and enjoy <laughs> your fame. Oh. Gracie Kim is the award-winning and New York Times best-selling author of The Last Fallen Star, The Last Fallen Moon, and The Last Fallen Realm. As featured in Time Magazine for Kids and dubbed a sparkling yarn by Entertainment Weekly, the Korean mythology-inspired trilogy has been optioned by the Disney Channel for a television series and is being translated into multiple languages. It was named a 2021 Goodreads Choice Award nominee for Best Children's Book, an Amazon Best Book, an Indigo Best Book, a Barnes & Noble Young Reader pick, and a Wit Coles? Is that how we say that? I don't know. <laughs> this is a New Zealand honor, right? Wit Coles. New Zealand. And a Wit Coles Kids Top 50. In 2022, Gracie was awarded the Sir Julius Vogel Award for Best New Talent. In a previous life, Gracie was a New Zealand diplomat, a cooking show host, and once ran a business that turned children's drawings into cuddly toys. She now lives in Aotearoa, New Zealand with her husband and daughter. You can find her often on Instagram at Gracie Kim Writes, sometimes on TikTok at Gracie Kim, and Twitter at Gracie Kim, and always on her website, GracieKim.com. Uh, listeners, this uh, Gracie Kim with uh, Gracie, G-R-A-C-I. 
Kim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for the uh, torture. that was fun but really as painful as it was and as (laughs) non-eilish as i will ever be um i honestly do feel like this is a time of reflection because it is just before the madness of all the book release you know stuff go 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 and you're not really thinking or reflecting you're just doing and then by the time it's done you're exhausted and so you're out you know, you're just like, give me yeah. the next thing I need out of this world. So this actually is that moment of reflection. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to you guys again for the third time. And for the series, the last time. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like bittersweet. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, also lovely to be here. It's hard emotion to describe. I was feeling that while reading, like knowing this whole time that it is a trilogy, it has always been planned to be a trilogy. And then like I got like three chapters in and I was like, wait, I really have to savor each one of these chapters because this is all the new adventure of Riley that we're Riley O that we'll be getting. And because it's like because the book is written in like present tense, I feel like we're so alongside her um, and her journey. And I was like, wow, I really got to be present in the moment on each step of the way. We were talking before we started recording about the wildness. I guess um, right now I can let you all know it's it's May. We're like early May. So we just experienced the epic adventure that was the Sun and the Star book tour and like that whole release. And we were talking about it with Gracie. And we, we wanted to tell you, since you obviously weren't there, um, there was like a whole portion of the book tour. We called it like the D23 shareholders convention portion where Rick gets up and has like a slideshow of every single RRP author um, with like your photo and all of the covers of your books and like an updates us on where you guys are all at um, in your series. New release dates and uh, short little uh, blurbs options. about everything. Options. Yeah. Um, oh. And, and we really like... This is not an exaggeration. This is not just because we um, happen to have talked to you, but like the cheers were noticeably louder um, for for your books. Um, no, you're kidding were, me. Stop it. No. no. Especially, I will say, like, I was at the Boston tour stop, and it seems like it was a little bit demographically different from the New York stop in the sense that we had a lot of kids. There were a lot of people who looked like they were in middle school with. Um, you know, a guardian or two guardians or friends or something. And those kids, like, they really, um, they're tuned in. It was so, <laughs> like, I, it's sad that you weren't able to, like, see clips of this or something. <laughs> because, like, the people really were were cheering specifically for for um, uh, wow. for, for your books. <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing that. And honestly, I will be really honest. I'm really surprised and I'm kind of emotional about it because <laughs> without crying or anything but um honestly from from New Zealand okay I you know I've I think I've talked about this before but I often feel so removed because I am so physically far from everything you know and I see my peers being able to go into bookstores all the time and you know sign new stock or go meet their team or meet their readers and obviously I can meet my local readers here which is amazing but so many of my readers I just don't get to see you know and so I really try to reach out in different ways but my my fuel tank for social media is very low Low. you know so Mm. I use what fuel I have and then I'm out like I'm totally burnt out the like engine needs like a cam belt change or whatever I don't even know what a cam belt is but that sounds kind of serious so like something serious um engineering (laughs) so it's hard for me to feel like I am really there and that makes me honestly that um that really means a lot to me to hear that and for you to share that with me because I would never have believed it is what the truth is yeah yeah so that is very very cool thank you (laughs) (laughs) I have this existing like never to be taken down staff pick on the last fallen star um at the bookstore I 
just recently quit working at, but I also, you know, I have them like they're lined up in a little row and a display in the kids section. And whenever somebody is looking for a book for a kid, like if it's a gift for their kid or their niece or whatever nephew, I always hand them the last fallen star. And it's been wild in the past like year to witness so many people be like, oh, we already read that. Like, do you have something else that's like it? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it just increased. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I have to read more books. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, did you read Pahua and the Soul Stealer? I'm out. (laughs) Um, I feel like this is like a real ego tickle. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, I wanted to ask you, given what you just said about, you know, being so far away, you recently had like a whirlwind tour of the States, um, went to NYC, met the book team. I believe there was a Kim Chingu's meetup. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Okay. So this actually flows on perfectly from what I was saying was I, f- I was feeling really detached. Right. And I, cause you know, I didn't get to do any of my book tours. Every, I mean, I got to do them virtually, which, you know, to be fair, but not physically. And so, um, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take this chance that I have. My husband was like, You're, you look really sad. Just go and meet Aww. your friends and revive yourself. Don't worry about anything at home. I'll take care of the Mr. little Mr. Gracie's husband. I know, he's awful. <laughs> um, and so I did. Honestly, like within the space of a few weeks of him being like, just do it. I just booked my flight. I mean, I didn't go for anything. There was no book coming out. You know, I just had to go to feel like I could, you know, be part of it and feel like I was actually doing this and meeting my friends. So I got to do this awesome Kim Tingles event. So the Kim Tingles are, okay, so the word is a portmanteau of kimchi, <laughs> very Korean, and tingle, which is Korean for friend. And we're all writers. We all started out before we were agented, before we even had full manuscripts. Um, and then, oh, no, we may have had full manuscripts. Um, and then we all got signed at various times. We all got published at various times. And we're just, yeah, we're just a family of writers now. And um, I got to meet them. So I met them um, on the west side. So we were in California. We had a little writing retreat um, on the beach. That was amazing. We got zero wow. writing done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it wasn't really about that. But I felt I honestly fed my soul. And then we thought while we're there, we might as well do an event because we've never done a public event, all of us together before. So we did a public event at Belcanto Books at Long Beach, which was amazing. That was so cool. Um, (laughs) And then after that, I thought, you know what, if I'm in the US, I want to go to New York because I've never been to New York, as you will remember, because you asked me this last year. (laughs) Gracie, have you been to New York? Because I can tell that you haven't been to New York. (laughs) We said we could tell that you have. We said we have. Oh, I took it, I took it away and I was like, oh, yes, yeah, I, I definitely need to go there. No, you were accurate to a T. Queens is heaven, Midtown is hell. Yes. It was, it was awesome. Um, I had never been. It was always it was always somewhere I wanted to go. So I just took the chance to go. And it was amazing. You know how after a while, so as a diplomat, right, I got to travel a lot, which was incredible. And after a while, places started to feel the same. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like no matter where you go, Mm -hmm. in some ways it's a great thing. People are people are people. And um, Mm -hmm. I started to feel like places were the same as well. Like they weren't that much that felt like that first time you go somewhere new and your feet land and you just have that overwhelming sense that this place is new and there's so much to explore that like giddy fizzy feeling I just hadn't had that for so long and for some reason I landed in New York and I had that feeling I felt like oh my goodness I have to explore the city there is so much happening there is a vibe here um it is full of contradictions and I just I need to consume it and so I consumed um as cliche as it is like so many bagels and (laughs) bookstore I could find uh and went to Broadway and I just had the most amazing time oh you know what it was even riding the subway was exciting (laughs) um honestly I had the best time it was it fed my soul in so many ways and then I missed my flight back because there was a fire at JFK 
Uh, so I had to extend my oh. trip for another three days, which I did not complain about. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so it had absolutely nothing to do with a book coming out. In fact, I have a book coming out now, as you know, and I'm not there. Uh, but it was um, it was just the best experience. Yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, speaking of, oh, there's so many questions we have to ask you. Um, you know. I guess since we're on the topic of fame um, and your fame, um, <laughs> um, something that Riley <clears throat> deals with, and we're not doing spoilers, um, so if you haven't read the book, even if you haven't read the previous two books, everyone, you're free to keep listening. Um, but something Riley deals with in this book is the concept of imposter syndrome um, and how it even very specifically relates to anxiety um, and things like panic attacks um and i felt very much like i mean who doesn't have imposter syndrome right it's not like a rare <laughs> um, occurrence <laughs> but i i really enjoyed reading those sections and um watching her kind of deal with that and like rely on her friends and stuff and i was wondering you know did that did incorporating that into this book come from your experiences like with your you know fame <laughs> <laughs> okay first of all can i clarify to anyone who's not <laughs> Gracie, Grammy. Gracie has an EGOT as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but in terms of imposter syndrome, hell yes. Oh, you know, I <laughs> I think I was doing some form of self-therapy through the characters or something because yeah. um, it just, I didn't even mean for it to happen. I mean, I usually outline, so I kind of know what's happening in books usually uh, before I write the chapters. But that didn't, that wasn't planned. I think it just came out because I found this third book really hard to write. Really, mm -hmm. really hard. I remember and, you saying that when we were talking last time and you were working on it. Yeah. yeah. Of course, yes. And it didn't get any easier. <laughs> just <laughs> getting harder. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, yeah, and I think part of it was because I felt like um, – I felt like maybe the first book was like a one-hit wonder situation. Does that kind of make sense? Like that I had my, um, I had my time in the sun. This was like my one book. And even though they were my same characters and the world was continuing that I had lost whatever it was that I had had in, in the process of writing the first book. Um, and so I was dealing with that. I think I was also dealing with that detachment. I was feeling like I mentioned before, like, you know, if I'm not mm -hmm. even there, if I'm not around my peers, like, is it even real? Um, does anyone even care? Um, you know, whatever. And I don't know. I think a lot of it was just compiling. And you know how books, um, the lifetime of a book is so weird that you write a book. Yeah. You forget about it. And then you have to, like, dredge it up to celebrate and talk about it 18 months later or sometimes even yeah. longer. Um, mm -hmm. And so... It was this disjunct too because I was like, oh, I'm you know supposed to be working on this next thing, but do I have something new in the tank, and what am I going to do with that? And oh, so many questions. Mm -hmm. And I think there are certain personalities. Okay, I've met people in my life who just don't think that far ahead. Like they just yeah. don't. <laughs> so actually, this is another little like side channel. But I was at this amazing event yesterday called the the. National Young Leaders Days. So they're for mm. primary and intermediate school kids in New Zealand, and they get thousands of kids in a huge auditorium. And it's a it's basically like TED Talks, but for yeah. primary and intermediate kids. And it's just mm -hmm. like ramps up. There's like music, there's activities, there's like inspiring speakers <laughs> and stuff. Anyway, I was there, and one of the speakers um, who used to be a wakeboarder, and then he had an accident, and he is now like completely immobile. He can he can't move his limbs. He's in a chair, and he has to move with like a little straw um, that he uses with his mouth. And he was saying that we it's important to look back right at history, and it's important to look forward into the future to plan because those are very you know important things for development and for reflection. But we can't linger too much in the past because then that's where um, depression lives, right? Too much in mm -hmm. the past. But we can't mm -hmm. also linger too much in the future because that's exactly. where anxiety lives. Yeah. And so the mm -hmm. real trouble mm -hmm. is to go back and forth, but try to cement yourself as much as you can in the present, in the now. 
because mm. that's where real action lives and and that's where choice lives. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's so <laughs> true. <laughs> that's so true. Um, and, okay, and another tidbit because I think I've been on a real reflective mode and obviously this is my Billie Eilish <clears throat> moment. Um, (laughs) this other podcast that I've been listening to it's a parenting podcast and Mm. it's uh, an anxiety therapist expert who speaks about how anxiety presents in different people um, and Mm. how to tackle it especially in young people Um, and she says Mm. anxiety basically is an overestimation of your problems and an underestimation of your resources to deal with it Mm. and I think Mm -hmm. all of these things it's like we know all these things but some people just put them in ways that pierce you a little deeper and I realized I am a very anxious person and (laughs) really anxious for that absolutely (laughs) didn't know you know and sorry another tidbit because this is where my brain is going today they say when you have a child Mm -hmm. the minute your child is born the part of your brain that does the risk analysis and does um, like the anxiety audit of your brain, basically um, mm-hmm. the one that is you're anxious, you're worry, worry, worry. That brain part, I can't even remember what it's called. Is it called the hippocampus? No, that's something else. The amygdala maybe. Anyway, it doubles in size immediately. Or it's like, oh God. yeah. So, uh, cause I was always like, oh my gosh, having a child has made me anxious. Um, and I realized I've always been anxious, but I think biochemically, I also have gotten more anxious and they say it's not even the person necessarily giving birth, but that, um, like the other parent, if there is another parent in the mix as well, if they take on a primary caregiving caregiving role, it also happens to them. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, all these things happen. Anxiety is everywhere. Like the propensity for anxiety is everywhere. And, um, mm-hmm. to answer this question in a very long-winded way, I think that all culminated um, in my book because I was like, oh, what yeah. am I doing? I don't deserve to be here. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But I'm here. And so, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Your brain isn't always right. But I do remind myself that, um that I think those thoughts that we have, these kind of self-sabotaging, questioning and anxious thoughts, are there not to self-sabotage us? I think that's really important to remember. They're actually there to support us. They think they're protecting Mm -hmm. us. Um, Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have to give it a name, that's what I've been trying to do, and just school Mm -hmm. it sometimes. Hey, look, I'm really appreciative of your help, X, Y, Z, but um, right now I don't need your help. So why don't you just sit there yeah. nice? We can be a little quieter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long detail wow. into land. Yeah. Oh, I loved, I love that. The, I love talking about <laughs> therapy. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and it is like, I really enjoyed that, like, take from Riley because, you know, the hero's journey, there's always the refusal where it's like, I don't want to be the chosen one. I'm not going to answer this call whatever. Um, but so often our hero is like a boy or a man or whatever. And we don't necessarily get this look at like what it means to have like the anxiety imposter syndrome of the chosen one. Like mm-hmm. Riley knows she has to save everything. Um, but she feels so afraid of it and doesn't understand how it could possibly be her underestimating her um resources right and overestimate i guess the end of the world is hard to overestimate but <laughs> it's definitely the doom feels impending and ultimately i that i know the word choice comes up in this book like what it means to make a choice um and how that like you said that that present choice can be a great antidote to our future anxiety yeah i spoke oh. about this yesterday at this um young leader event because i think choice is our magic superpower like I talk, I think I'm, I think it's discussed in the book too. I can't remember. It was a while ago. Um, but, um, I think choice is our hardest superpower and it is our strongest superpower because it's something that regardless of, our, of how old you are or your circumstances, as individuals, it is the one thing that no one can make for you and it's the one thing that no one can take from you. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a big responsibility you have to carry, right? Because you have to live with the yeah. consequences 
your choices, which is kind of scary, which Oof. is, again, where anxiety can live. But at the same time, it is your superpower. So if you choose to wield it um, in a certain way, um, then it is like the most powerful thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Carter, you have this highlighted. Do you want to? Yeah, I, I think just going off of this, the, the book seems to deal a lot with Riley not only struggling with how many choices she has before her, but with, I guess, like, ontologically, like, what it means for her to have all these choices and who who to look for to support, who to blame, how to, like, understand her predicament. And so much of that manifests in this language about, um, like, faith in a lot of ways and her relationship with um, uh, Mago uh, Halmi um, throughout the book i i thought that was really interesting and i wanted to get more insight from you about this choice to center this book around kind of these two sets of ideas where riley is like as she ends not i don't want to say ends her journey as riley's like coming to the end of like this story uh of this like section of her life um what it means to focus so much on on um you know, on choice and on faith and these questions about, um, like, uh, love and that which is, you know, larger and, and how, um, wh- why that felt like the right set of themes to, to focus on for, for this final book. Wow, that is a really big question. And I really want to go into it. Like, um, tell us about free will, Grace. <laughs> I'm really curious, um, just randomly, what does ontologically mean? I don't know what that word means. <laughs> I can't. Carter, do have I to do know that what one. that word means? <laughs> um, I should use a dictionary to make sure I am not pulling that too much out of my out of my butt. Um, <laughs> like yeah, like having to deal with it, like like metaphysically, like questions oh. about like why why the organization of the world is ah. such that she has to deal with these hard choices and these responsibilities. Okay, cool. Thanks for teaching me that word. Um, <laughs> So how do I tackle this question? Okay, so I think I have to bring it back to the very beginning of the creation of this world. It all began with this idea in my head. I was like, where do Korean people congregate? And I was like, the congregation at church. Like that is literally where this whole thing <laughs> came from. Um, drawn from, well, not the only thing, but one of the, you know, the, the starting points of the journey of this world building. And so I think it always began with this idea. I was like, what if... It was like the Korean churches that are so prolific all around the world, not just mm-hmm. in Korea. You know? And mm-hmm. then what if they weren't actually worshipping a Christian God, but maybe like a whole different um, series of like Korean mythological folkloric gods. Um, and so I think that was always in the fabric of the world. But in terms of how it ended up developing in terms of these bigger questions about about choice and destiny and love and like a higher power and like looking somewhere for answers, honestly, I think I drew from my own questions because just yesterday again, Mm -hmm. I came home from this event and I said to my husband, um, because I grew up in the church, I grew up in a really interesting environment where I grew up partly in the Korean Presbyterian Presbyterian, uh, church partly in like a New Zealand Pākehā white um, Baptist church and then partly in like a Buddhist temple scenario from my mum's side. So kind of a mix of lots of things. And um, I said, I really miss church, but I don't miss church. Like I miss the community Uh of church. Like I miss the music. Mm -hmm. I miss like going, walking into a space full of people, knowing that you are connected somehow by a belief that is more than just a hobby, you know, that something mm-hmm. fundamental that that connects you. And I love how how so many people in the church communities that I grew up with cared for each other, the, the community service. I don't think were all these things that I had forgotten about that I really miss but I don't miss, respectfully, I don't miss like the indoctrination <laughs> part of the religion. I, basically mm-hmm. what I found, mm. is I don't miss the religion, I miss the people and I miss the community. Mm. Like we should yeah. create an unchurch, like a non-church, <laughs> with a better name, um, where you can come every <laughs> week 
kid, like come every morning on a Sunday morning and you come and you hear like inspirational stories of people's journeys. Um, and then you share food and you sing beautiful music and you get to see your friends and it's for all ages, kids and, and elderly and young people all mixed mm. together and like without mm-hmm. the, the doomsday stuff. Um, wow. And then, and then my husband was like, you sound like you're going to become a cult leader. Um, <laughs> and I was like, the gifted cult, cult trilogy. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I think I think it's it's in my head a lot, you know. And now with a child, and she's starting to ask questions like, "Hey, mummy, what happens when you know people die? Where do they go? Like, what happens to us if you leave me? Will I ever see you again?" And you know, I mean. Really, really dark stuff. And I'm like, wow, I don't really know how to deal with this stuff. So I think all of this has been for a while swirling in my head. And because I don't have the answers and I don't really even know what questions to ask, I think they just permeate through whatever it is I'm writing without me even realizing it. So actually, until you just asked me that question, I didn't even realize I was asking those questions. Um, yeah. But I guess the whole idea of this larger love, whatever or whoever may be um, out there, um, I think that is my hope. Like that is my deepest wish that there is, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's out there. Who knows what's out there? But wouldn't that be great if there was just this? That would be so nice. Love <laughs> out there. I would really want to talk to whoever that is, yeah. you know, badly, but it would be cool to know. <laughs> <laughs> that makes yeah. so much sense. You explaining that, like that idea of like church being like sort of the foundation of the world mm-hmm. makes so of these books makes so much sense because of the way that it is like a whole family affair. Like the, yeah. there's a something that happens in this book where people mention like, Oh, my grownups, like, are gone or like my grownups are wherever. And I was like, yeah, because there are like every generation is present in this story. Um, and it's not just like, oh, the kids are handling things on their own. Like a lot of our middle grade books end up being because they're orphans or et cetera. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like a whole family community uh, war that has been brewing in this trilogy. It just makes a lot of sense. Oh my God. <laughs> Do we have we have some like low key questions, and then we have some more like, more, like bigger. Que- well, we could maybe throw off some low key questions. Give us a little break here. Um, Vegas, baby. This book is set in Vegas. I loved that um, because we went from LA to New York to Vegas, and these are all places I've spent a lot of time in my life. So that was personally. Very fun. And my grandma lives in Las Vegas. So I was like there a lot as a kid. Um, and there's something really funny ninth about reading this book. It, yeah. I don't know if you know this, Gracie, but it's called the Ninth Hawaiian <laughs> Island because there's so many people from Hawaii that live in Las Vegas really? and like retire there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a whole it's thing. So cool. My parents, every they were recently visiting me in New York, but it was really just an excuse for them to go to Vegas first for a week. Uh, hang out yeah play craps but there is such a funny relationship with Vegas when you're like 12 and you can't you know do things that Vegas is for right and I thought that was so funny watching them wander around and be like I want to go to the Luxor and like I want to go to M&M World because those are really the things you do you're like yeah but look let me look at this horizontal this uh diagonal building it's so exciting and that's all that's all I got so why yeah why Vegas for the setting for this book where did that come from um, so in terms of why, because I had inadvertently set two books in in specific cities, I felt like I had to do the same for this. <laughs> and then I was like, where are we going to put a big showdown? Vegas. I mean, it just felt really, <laughs> it just felt really natural. Um, and also, I, I loved my trip to Vegas when I went. I mean, I went with my family and my parents aren't big into casinos or anything. So we, and I mean, we were, and we were little. So um, I had this really funny uh, memory, just like you say, of Vegas and hearing what Vegas is like, but actually having a completely different experience of Vegas yeah. because like, nothing was available to us that that felt like Vegas in quote marks. Um, 
but I still had the greatest time. So I spent a lot of time on Google um, and going on like virtual tours of things that you can do in Vegas. And I had lists, I had screeds of stuff actually that I just never got to put in the book. <laughs> just like so doll. Um, and went down really like random rabbit holes, like um, the Luxor, you know, the light that shoots out of the Luxor. Pyramid. Yes. Actually, I don't know if it still does that, but, but for a while it stopped. But anyway, the light went into all this research about like how what it looks like from space, space. and the power wattage and like I did virtual tours. I'm pretty sure I think I paid once for like a virtual tour you can do of the inside where the light is. You write that and- off on your taxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I just I just love the idea of this happening in in Vegas when they're kids, you know? Um yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had a good time. There was really no reason. There was no deep reason at all. <laughs> Yay. I remember we stayed in the Luxor one time when I was a kid and I got like so ill because when you're riding up the elevators, they go diagonally and everything is just like the spatial like awareness of this. It's really, it's very trippy because um, everything is like closing in on you. I don't know. Nothing against pyramids. Pyramids are cool shapes. And we love the Luxor and we love that we can see the light from space. Um, maybe should we talk a little bit about Emmett our sweet (laughs) sweet boy who is becoming a man um (laughs) whose voice in this book drops he's taller um Carter did you have a specific question about Emmett oh literally all we wrote down on our notes was can we talk about Emmett (laughs) (laughs) Erica texted me um earlier when she was reading the book about the like the moment uh where where they're attending the wedding together um the wedding uh-huh. of the two um like the the uh like winged horses i think um she was just like this is so um th- th- there's this is such a specific way of transitioning this um relationship where you watch the two of them have to kind of be together as children processing ideas about love and relationships that are set in front of them and the way that this book is both kind of like picks up with um like a little bit more you know um tension a little bit more kind of whispers in the margins of the book but then also puts them into the all of these like very funny discreet situations where they have to um talk about things differently um watch each other experience things and learn new things about um about love and relationships. I don't know. I, I I just wanted to know how how you thought about this, I guess, transition for the character and for his uh role in, in the book. Mm. It reminded okay. me of Percy and Annabeth being in the tunnel of love in The Lightning oh. Thief, basically. <laughs> when they're just like 12 and they don't want anything to do with each other, but they're suddenly in this situation where they're like, ew, what is what's going on? I don't know. This is strange. <laughs> what is this? Um so interestingly, that whole like conversation about love. Um, okay, so there, yeah, there is a wedding in the book, and so they're yeah discussing love. I didn't plan that on purpose. I just put that wedding there because I felt like that was what was Vegas. Yeah, I mean it was Vegas, and you know, <laughs> just wanted a shotgun wedding, and it just kind of happened. But then I was like, oh, this is great, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah drop them in the right place um but I really wanted to capture something different I guess in this third book because you know in terms of Riley and Emmett and just Emmett as a person I think sub characters um the subcast are so so important and one of my favorite things in books is actually the the sub characters the main character you know they're they're the main jam I mean you go in knowing that and the whole book is about them but what about the other guys you know, and a sign of a real, like a really good book that leaves you thinking about the characters long after you've finished the last page, I think are the ones that make everyone else feel as rich and three-dimensional. And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm at a place with my writing um, where Ira Glass from the NPR, he, from the um, from the American Life, he talks about this, and it's that whole thing where you know where quality is of your work like I know what it's Mm -hmm. like when I read a book and I I shut the cover and I'm like 
this is what I want to do. Like, this is the level at which I want my writing to be. Yeah. And then you mm-hmm. try to recreate that in your own books. And then you read over what you've written and you're like, what is this? This is not that. There's <laughs> um, <laughs> such a big gulf between what I want to achieve and what I can yes. currently achieve. So yes. I feel like I'm there in my writing. And so because of that, I really, I find it hard to actually reflect on my writing that I've done and to read over it and to even to discuss it actually like this because there's what I wanted it to be and then there's what eventuated. So um, I guess part of what I'm trying to say is thank you for even picking that out, this part of Emmett developing out because it's something I was really trying to do. I was really trying to give these characters, these additional characters, but specifically him, more because he deserves more and I want him yeah. to do more. So I guess one of the ways I thought about this was how can I give him some kind of evolution in this book, something new to be dealing with, something that gives him an extra dimension for the reader to enjoy mm-hmm. as well. And that was, I thought, yeah, okay, let's take hormones into the picture because that's probably <laughs> <laughs> Everything changes. Hormones are whack. And, yeah, I mean, sure, the voice, you know, breaks and drops and maybe you get taller, you know, but it's all that confusing inner stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I will be mm-hmm. not just humble bragging or anything like that. Like, genuinely, I don't know if I achieved that. But that that's what I was thinking about yeah. when I was, yeah, when I was trying to put something else in there. And I think one of my fondest memories of that age is the awkwardness. Like I can't yeah. my diaries from that age because I actually <laughs> feel like I'm going to come out of my skin. Like it is so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> that awkwardness is so beautiful. It's like, I mm-hmm. love him with all my heart. I mean, what do you know about love? But I love him with all my heart. But if I go anywhere within like a mile radius of him, I feel like I'm going to die, you know, um, <laughs> pages of of diary entries about how much I want to just hold the hand of this boy and like it's nothing it's like so not x-rated you know it's not even like wanting to kiss him it's just I just want to be near him and like hold Mm -hmm. his hand yeah (laughs) especially thing on those things and being like how much awkwardness can I give to these guys (laughs) without making (laughs) Oh yeah, It was one of my favorite like threads of the book because it was very like subtle too. You know, it wasn't like this big focus on like art. Will they, won't they like Riley and Emmett as best friends turn, you know, something else that wasn't that at all. It was just like truly the authentic awkwardness. I, there, one of my favorite descriptions was the looking at him and then there's, it's like there's Skittles falling in your stomach. <laughs> it's like, oh, taste the rainbow i feel that um, <laughs> exact size and weight of a skittle um and like the seeing wanting to simultaneously run right at that person and also run away from them i thought that was such a beautiful description <laughs> i still feel that way now as a full-grown adult you know i can't even explain it like it's not really a reason sometimes there are people that you're so in awe of or like you meet and you're just like, all I want to do is just be around you. I don't even want to talk to you. I just want to like look at you and just like soak in your existence. But also seeing you makes me want to run to the other side of the earth because I cannot handle your shine. Yeah. 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 Oh, there was, I was also going to say, speaking of the book tour, what you said about that gulf between your work now and the work you want to make, that was like, that's like also like a direct quote. I think Mark, said during the book tour because they did a yeah. Q&A section yeah where somebody was like do you have advice for you know people who want to be writers and whether or not to pursue it and stuff like that and Rick and Mark both answered basically like yeah there will be a especially when you're starting there will be that gulf between what you want to do and what you feel capable of but you have to just keep writing and like don't throw away the work even though it doesn't feel like it's what you want it to be because you'll look back on it and it will probably be better than you thought it was. And also it is all part of the overcoming that, that gulf. I love that. Oh, you writers. (laughs) (laughs) A really strong image of you physically being on one side of a gulf and trying to get to the other side. And the only way is to like build a bridge, but you can only build a bridge, you know, one 
plank at a time, right? So it's going to take a while to get to the other side. But also if you don't start laying them down, you'll never get there. So you have Mm -hmm. to just, Mm -hmm. yeah, move. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did you watch Physical 100, Gracie? No. (laughs) But I keep hearing about it. Never mind. Never mind. There's a physical challenge where they have to like lay planks. Anyway, that's what came to mind. I see. I see. It's like very overwhelming. Um, Carter, do you want to ask about the ending? Oh, yeah. So I I guess at a high level, because this is a spoiler-free conversation, I think that what we can say about the book's ending is that it is... I found it surprising, and I think that even people who don't necessarily find it surprising will note that it is, like, a little unconventional, maybe. That it's not, um, in terms of both the journey of the protagonist and also the way that the world changes over the course of the book and what we see in the world of the novel at the end, I think are not, like, on both fronts, that's not really super common in middle grade and in like speculative fiction in general, <laughs> I feel. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts about how you navigated that, that, that tension between, um, you know, trying to surprise people, trying to make something that felt inevitable and trying to say like, this is like, th- these are like final states or like meaningful different places for my characters and for my world to be in and like what I want people to be imagining as they like leave the world for the last time. Mm. I don't know how to answer this question because I, I think <laughs> the minute I came up with this story, like from the very beginning, mm-hmm. I always had this arc in mind. And so from the birth of the story, I knew exactly how it was going to end. And so it wasn't really like a conscious like decision I made later. Um, and yeah, I don't, it, was, it just came wow. in. Itself. Yeah. So I just knew that that was going to be how I was going to conclude it. Yeah. I don't, I also don't want to put spoilers in there, but yeah, that's, yeah. yeah I just had that shape in mind and yeah. Maybe I was trying to make a, uh, you know, I was going to say maybe I was trying to make a statement, but I really wasn't. It was just how I felt. Yeah, um, I, yeah I can't, I really can't answer this question without going into too many spoilers. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the nice side of having like a firm final end to a trilogy because we just finished reading like trials of apollo um and like we've been like talking a lot about like what it means to like end something but still not rock the boat too much so that you can continue you know going further with the characters like um not like having something that changes like the scope of the world so much because you have to leave things open for the future so it's kind of nice to have you know, be able to tie a bow on something and be like, this is not have to worry about like, oh, how am I going to, you know, five years from now, write, you know, my spinoff story for Emmett. <laughs> Although five years from now, if you'd like to write your spinoff story for <laughs> Emmett, we'll be here. <laughs> so that's really I interesting. I feel like you could set it, like, I would definitely read another book about like what happens afterwards, because I feel like while it, like it is simultaneously an ending and also such a rich imaginative landscape that you give us at the end, for the way that things leave off. I, I just found it so fascinating. So okay, now that I'm thinking about it, you, have you guys seen um, or read the book, The 100? So not the physical 100, but like The 100. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's different from the TV show, I'm guessing. Slightly different, yeah. <laughs> Slightly yeah. different. Um, so I haven't read the books, but the TV show I watched. And one thing I really yeah. loved about it was that at the end of every season, it feels like the camera pans out one bit and suddenly what you thought was the world suddenly becomes this other wider world and then at the end of that season you come back even further and there's like there's like another part of this you know what i mean when the world just gets like bigger and more expansive Mm -hmm. but complicated i just love that and i think that has something to do Uh with my my easily bored state of mind so i'm just like come on throw something new at me if i'm in the same world with the same thing then yeah, I mean, that's fun. And you know what? Some writers really do that well. They can make so much exciting stuff and so much of that character, like, angst and, and push and pull within the world. But perhaps it's because I know I'm not very good at that. And so 
what I try to focus on is the world building part because that's a part that comes more naturally and that I love so much. So I think yeah. I'm just continually building new worlds but or just sometimes spinning them and like turning them on their heads and maybe that's partly what happened. I'm just trying to put like a new edge to it. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think there is definitely potential later if I wanted to go back to create new, you know, shoot offshoots or whatever but i also love that it was like a fully formed kind of product i don't want to say product it's not a product but like a fully formed thing um mm -hmm. yeah. So, I don't know. yeah i don't know if that answered your question oh wow when you say so when you talk about how difficult it was to write this book i'm from a technical standpoint was it difficult to outline or was it like the outline was down and it was difficult to like get the prose out yeah, so because I knew where it was going to end and I kind of knew the different things I wanted to put in there, plot points and locations and beats and things, the technical part was there. But I mm. think what I lost was my, um, not so much the motivation, but belief in myself. And I think yeah. that related mm. partly to the heart of the story, maybe, because um, – I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to reflect on that because yeah, uh, some, some writers say that if you outline a story too much, then you lose the excitement of discovery and therefore it's hard to mm. write. And I don't usually find that mm. because I've always outlined. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't really that, but it was just, um, yeah, maybe it was like partly that it was the last book. And so it was, it's like a bit sad to say goodbye to these yeah. characters created and grown to love and because um, characters get to a point um, when you've developed them enough where you can create a scenario for them. So you just put them in a certain uh, scene uh, with a certain situation and then they do the talking for you because they have their own inbuilt personality. So you don't have to come up with it. You just put them there. Uh, mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like I'd got into that stage. So I knew what the characters needed to do and say and how they'd react and all of that. But it was just really hard to get the words out. And I still, I don't mm. really know why that was. Yeah. 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 That makes, I mean, that all makes a, a lot of sense to me from the outside. <laughs> Carter and I talk a lot about chronic nostalgia. Um, and that's kind of the living <laughs> in the past thing. Like <laughs> you can just be so like, oh my God, this is going to end. And then it kind of like stops you in your tracks from being there through the end of it. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Carter, author's note. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I have even a specific question about this, but the author's note that you included was so gorgeous with a, a whole... Um, folktale retold within it even. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess just wanted to ask if you had anything else to say to expand upon this idea about, you know, the importance of storytelling and the role of, you know, culture and community and some sort of innate energy that goes into like the transmission of stories between people and the, the vitality that they, that they have and create and other people, um, or like just generally the, like the inspiration side of the writing process for you in, in, in this final book and across your writing of the trilogy. Mm. I think it's magic. I really believe Aww. it's something else. I mean, to say that, I write by myself is a false claim because mm -hmm. I mean, on the practical side, of course, because we we draw from, from life and from what we consume and then practically our friends or our editors and agents will edit our work. And that obviously puts mm -hmm. their spin on things, but I really believe there's something else happening. And I don't know. I mean, you'll see from the author's note, I pose the question. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but there's definitely something that goes on. I mean, as an example, okay, so wider example, as much as we don't like to talk about a certain person who writes about wizards, but if you talk about <laughs> phenomenon, um, the phenomenon of certain cultural works in time and generations, I mean, you can't deny there is something there. I mean, there are so yeah. many good books written about so many good, you know, characters um, and they don't take off in the way that certain books do. 
right? There's something mm-hmm. like that word zeitgeist, I feel like really captures mm-hmm. it nice. There's something mm-hmm. that takes over that is this untangible, you know, thing in the ether that mm-hmm. we just drink yeah. and consume and it becomes a part of us. So there's that in a wider sense, in a cultural generation sense. But I also feel like in a, perhaps on like a, uh, you know, to bring it back to like spirituality. Um, so Korean shamanistic belief is that our ancestors pass and then they stay with us, right? Which is why they have these ancestral worship rituals to remember. Lots of different cultures have it in different ways and you remember them. And by remembering them, they stick around and they stay and they look after you. Um, yeah. So they become like your um you know, what we would say, guardian angels or spiritual guardians or whatever they are. And my mum, who is from the Buddhist side of the family, um, she used to, not so much anymore, but when she was younger, she used to go to a Korean shaman wudang um, to have readings and to just get like guidance on things. And regardless of who she would go to, they always would say that there were three men with her right? Like kind of Mm. guarding her. And um, in her life, she has her father and two brothers that have passed. And so mum always said that they just must be with me, you know, and um, Mm. they just walk with her, they look after her, they, you know, try, obviously they don't, um, the belief is that they don't have the ability to affect real change in this world, but they can just smooth things around the edges just to, yeah, just to envelop that person in luck and love mm-hmm. um, and to just mm-hmm. get rid of some of the bad stuff. I mean, that's the idea that they have. And I don't know, sometimes I wonder maybe there's something like that going on. I don't know, maybe I have some ancestors like holding the pen with me <laughs> um, yeah. or whispering things in my ear that maybe I've come across in my life in passing or as a child that I've forgotten in my you know, in my front of my mind, but maybe subconsciously they help to bring up. I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't really know. How does art work? Art is, <laughs> art is you know, beautiful and, and complex. Um, yeah. yeah, I just feel like it would be remiss to say that we do this all alone as creators. I just don't think that's Absolutely. right. And I also think it's quite boring to think that way because how awesome to think that there's others <laughs> on this journey. And I don't know, sometimes I'm like writing and when I'm really stuck, I just have a little chuckle because I imagine these like two heads on either side of me, maybe like one (laughs) one ancestor there and like one's like real cynical, dry humor and the other one's like all sunshine (laughs) rainbows and butterflies and they're like having a little, no, 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 make it right that, no, no, make it go that way, no, no, you know. I don't know. It's the same thing in Hawaii. Um, It's like kupuna or like your ancestors who are like always – present with you and are, are silently guiding you and yeah can they affect things maybe not but they can like give you an embrace and like wow. tell you it's going to be okay yeah give you exactly. some wisdom yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that oh, wow. and because especially with folkloric and, and mythological storytelling um yeah it's as alive as the people that are there to tell it you know and it changes mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. generations it changes with context and circumstance uh, and so, yeah, maybe they are whispering in my ear to bring our old stories to life in ways that resonate stronger with today's audience. I don't know. That is so stinking beautiful. Oh, um, good. I think I think now we have to ask the age-old end of interview question. What's what's next for you? As much as you want to tell us. <laughs> okay, so I should have asked what I am allowed to say. Um, oh yeah, don't get in I trouble. <laughs> I didn't, so I don't know. <laughs> what I'm allowed to say. Um, there is something in the pipe. Actually, can I ask? Did I answer this question last time? Did I mention what I was working on? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think I so. Think I mean, we just know talked that about the final book the show is in the trilogy oh, last yeah. time. Okay, okay, yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. So I don't know what I'm <laughs> about. <laughs> um, but I will say stuff anyway because um, why not? Um, so <laughs> no I, one is I listening to this podcast <laughs> who, who will get you in trouble. <laughs> well, I haven't been told not to, so I'll just be careful. Um, riley so, yeah, okay, so I'm working on a whole new series. It hasn't been announced yet, so I can't obviously say specifics. But I can talk about maybe, like, the four things I drew from, like the four kind <gasps> of 
strands of inspiration that I drew from. Okay, so number one, dreams. I've always, we have actually spoken about dreams, I remember, but I have yes. um, always been fascinated about dreams. Like we're supposed to be asleep for a third of our lives, that by the time we're 90, we have spent 30 years of our life unconscious in bed. And that to me is like whack. It's like a third of our lives we've, we lose to sleeping. And I know sleeping is important. Okay. Like it's part of our, like, <laughs> but like I've always wondered where do we go when we sleep? Like what are dreams? Like there's so many cultures who have um, opinions about prophetic dreams or dreams that like, you know, warn against things or I don't know. I just think they're so fascinating. Koreans are so obsessed with dreams. Like there were days my parents wouldn't let me go to church, or wouldn't let me go to school, sorry, because mum had a bad dream. Right. <laughs> and I had to stay home to be safe, you know. So, um, and how many lotto tickets that my sisters have bought, what, one sister in particular, because she had a dream about food, which is a thing. If you dream about food, <laughs> it's supposed to be a money dream, you know. So anyway, dreams have always been fascinating to me. Uh, so that's one strand. The other strand is I have this fascination of an alternate world in which the Korean royal family still lived. Like, I just think there is such a fascination with, like, royals. Like, you know, it's like this weird thing where you want to be them, but you also don't want them, and you just, like, you put them up on a pedestal, but they're also just people. And, like, what is a royal institution in today's world? And there's so many questions. But also you can't deny the sparkly, like, allure of mm-hmm. about it. and I was like well what would a Korean royal family look like wow. if they still existed and like where would they live what would they do um you know that kind of thing so that was another strand um and then another strand was x-men because yeah. I love I just love the x-men you didn't love this idea that there could be a subset of the human race born with a genetic mutation that allows them to be different in some way and how would that yes. work with the global order of things and we talk about like the diaspora community in the world if all the diaspora community in the world came together and banded as one community we would be the third largest um country in the world or something um, I mean, that's a lot of people. What if it was like that, but for mutants, you know, like who would these people be? Where mm-hmm. would they live? How would they be treated? And then would all all mm-hmm. mutants feel the same? Would they want to rule over everybody or would they want peaceful coexistence with the existing society? I mean, that is fascinating to me. So there's that. And then the last strand is Pokemon. <laughs> <gasps> Crazy! Pokemon <laughs> 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 because... Because it's Pokemon and just the idea. (laughs) Just that part of my brain that loves the idea of being able to catch. I mean, first of all, little creatures, you know, little cute creatures of some form and being able to catch creatures Mm -hmm. and them being part of your ability to access your abilities. I don't know, like those four strands have come together into this next thing that I'm working on, but I'm pretty sure that's all I can say (laughs) at this stage. Oh, wow. Royal dream Pokemon. X-Men. 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 Royal dream (laughs) X-Men Pokemon. I am beyond sold. I, I, I I was sold from the first bullet point and I'm even more sold after the last one. (laughs) That's so exciting like very signature me in the in the sense that it's so weird and random things I've pulled together but um, yes. I'm having a really good time yeah right. oh I'm my really- god you just lit up wow. talking about it that's you, I, I can tell that you're having so much joy um creating this world yeah I'm having a good time wow okay well we'll I'll be on the edge of my seat awaiting the official announcement but that is oh, such These great news like- so long guys these things are so <laughs> waiting for yeah waiting for these administrative red tape things are um, a bane of most writers lives um but yeah once it can be announced formally i can't wait to talk about it more yeah oh my god okay i feel like that's kind of like the great great note to end on um <laughs> uh, um carter did you want to add on this little this little ps note <laughs> oh yeah 
I just, <laughs> I, I was talking we may to have mentioned various this last people time. about doing this. I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but um, my father, when he <laughs> decided that he was going to try out this podcast, the first episode that he listened to was the first interview that we did together. And to this day, it is his favorite. Oh, it is the thing that he always goes back to, to explain what, what it is that we can do here. Um, uh, he, yeah. He, he just thought you were so um, fabulous and well-spoken and interesting. And um, yeah, I don't know. I it's, it's so great to be able to talk to you and to, to, yeah, to have done so on so many occasions to talk about so many good books. <laughs> Can I send a virtual hug to your dad right now? <laughs> no, boo. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing embrace arms. <laughs> that is... <laughs> That is so sweet. Thanks for sharing that. That's um, yeah. That means a lot to me. I have a real soft spot for parents. Yeah, you know what they go through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that anxiety like brain it. just doubling in size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow! Boom! Boom! <laughs> This, as, pre as as anticipated, has absolutely been the highlight of my week. Um, this was so fun. And thank you for reflecting with us and all of the insights into your process and this book and what's to come. I love knowing that um, this maybe is, is for now the, the bow on Riley O's journey, but that there's so much more for Gracie and for us to enjoy from Gracie as Gracie fans. Um Congratulations <laughs> on this epic journey. I know it feels like it was like two years ago now, probably that you finished this, but um, <laughs> posthumous congratulations. And thank you so much for spending your time with us. Thank you so much, guys. Honestly, it is such a pleasure each time. Um, I find interviews quite difficult, actually, because I feel like I'm having to wield out the same things all, this, all the time. And like I don't really know, yeah, if I'm, you know, saying the right things and things, but you guys put me at ease so much. I just feel like I'm chatting to, to mates. I have such a wonderful time and I feel really blessed that you've invited me back every time. Like I said, it feels, um, it feels amazing to have my Billie Eilish moment. Um, and, um, and <laughs> I can't wait to share more about what's to come. I can't wait. I was going to say Billie Eilish herself once said, when we all fall asleep, where do we go? <gasps> Gracie Kim also said that. <laughs> <laughs> We're the same person. I've never seen both of you in a room at the same time, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will find a way to close this off here. Um, we will talk to the listeners again soon. Make sure you pre or well i guess we're releasing this when the book comes out so i hope you're in your car listening to this Go to a store. driving to yeah. your local indie bookstore you should at this point be there in the checkout line buying the last fallen realm or all three books or the last two wherever you last left off pick them up right now and message us what you think send us all your thoughts also if you are a listener and you hear this um, send me a message on the contact form of my website and just say, I heard you say on this podcast that um, you are giving away free bookmarks. If you just quote <gasps> that, if you quote the Silly Brain podcast and just send me uh, um, yeah, a message on the contact form with your address, I will mail you a signed bookmark. <gasps> Y'all, wow. come on. That is a personalized promo here. <laughs> get excited about come on seaweed brain listener exclusive bookmark direct from uh new zealand <laughs> yes it may take a while but it will get there yeah. <laughs> yeah it'll be international shipping but it'll be very very exciting oh my god yay gracie just keeps giving giving and giving all right we will talk to everyone soon bye bye, bye all <laughs>